0: Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast, episode number 101. We have made it back into the the second hundred, starting the second hundred of episodes here on the Cold Brew Podcast. I am Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll. Matt, we have made it past 100 episodes. We have made it past the trade deadline. And despite the doom and gloom and the thoughts of the impending... End of the franchise. We are still alive here for episode one.
1: <laughs> yes, we are still alive, and the Brewers are still alive. Only half yes. game now out of first place. Death Dr. has Cardinals not come for them lost today. Yeah, they are
0: still kicking. It was looking bad for a while. Yeah, uh, the trade deadline came and went. Josh Hader went, and no hitters came in. And then the Brewers lost five of their next six games, Mm -hmm. including a sweep from the Pirates and then losing two of three to the Reds. Uh, Those are two teams that you should not be losing series to, and yet the Brewers were. So it was all chicken little. Uh, Sky is falling around Milwaukee. But a new week started. Got a little bit of rest there. Then the Tampa Bay Rays came to town. The Brewers were able to sweep them in two games. And now things are looking a little bit better, at least. The, the doom and gloom has stayed away, at least for the moment. But now we got a big series coming up against the Cardinals, followed by a series against the Dodgers. And this is going to be the uh, the big litmus test here, Matt, these next seven days as Brewers have seven games against the Cardinals and Dodgers. This is uh, this is where the you separate the boys from the men.
1: Yeah, it really is, and it doesn't even get particularly easier after that because after the Dodgers series, it's three games against the Cubs, but on the road, so you know makes it a little bit more difficult, and then three games against the Dodgers again on the road. So I mean that's uh, twelve games, twelve games in twelve days. Um, nine of which. No, wait, thirteen. Get. I'm. My math is failing me right now. This is,
0: this is 13, too much math. Too early in the podcast.
1: Yep. Yep. No. Nope, <laughs> normally, we have to settle into math. Thirteen games in thirteen days. Ten of the thirteen against the Cardinals and Dodgers, and only one of those four series being at home. This is going to be tough. Like, legitimately, when they get to that off day on uh, August 25th. It, we may have a good idea of whether or not, you know, um, the playoffs are going to be a real thing or not. And obviously we still have Craig Tember coming after that and anything yeah. can happen. Um, but this is a season defining stretch for the team. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it is going to be very important for them to to come out looking good here. I mean, they, they got some momentum coming into it with that two game sweep over the Rays, which is good. you like to see it. Uh you had the walk off from Willie Adamas uh in the tenth inning to finish off that race series, which was always nice. Uh that was a beautiful beautiful moment, by the way, between him and Rowdy Telez, jumping into Tales's arms. I, I love the bromance between Willie and Rowdy. It is it who, is fantastic.
1: Who doesn't Adamas have a bromance with? That's Rowdy, very true. Iguarius, Freddy, I mean, he's just he's a bromantic guy.
0: Very much so. He he gets along with everyone. He puts a smile on everyone's face, yeah. and he has a smile on his own all the time. Always laughing, always having a good time. But him and Rowdy just kind of seem to have this special bond. Plus, they're they're locked in the home run race uh, between the two of them for the for the Brewers' home run lead, uh, which is which is great. And it'd be nice if there was you know you know a third one to that mix. Hunter Renfro is trying, but you know maybe if you. I don't know. Added a bat at the deadline, who had had you know 20 plus home runs. Maybe you know, maybe it would have been a little bit uh, a, little, a little bit better with that race. But you know, I mean, we talked about that a lot last week. There was a lot of uh, anger, and uh, I believe someone called it a venom in last week's uh, episode. It was it was a very uh, very negative one, which is unusual for yes. us. Um, but hey, I mean, really, the way the deadline went. That's, I mean, we're calling it as we see it, and that is what we always bring to you here on the Brew Podcast. We call it as we see it. Um, and one of the things that uh, has, you know, from last week's episode to this week is that we now have more comments uh, from Mark Atnazio and David Stearns regarding these trades. Uh, and uh, and I feel like we got to talk about these and just kind of talk about, you know, what he said and. And, you know, what, you know, really kind of seems to be going on. So, Mark Atanasio, uh, I had an article up on the site about this, you know, just Adnazio's comments on the trade. And there's this whole, like, almost seven-minute long video uh, from Adam McAlvey just kind of detailing through his comments. And my first reaction to just kind of, uh, you know, seeing this was Mark seemed to be smiling through the pain. <laughs> like it, it was a weird amount of like smiling for him as he was like talking through it about these like super like uh you know uncomfortable things and uh, you know things that he really probably doesn't like to talk about, but it, it definitely seemed like he was smiling through the pain and you know that that was that was just kind of my first thought as as it was just t- kind of getting going before I really kind of dove into what he was saying.
1: Yeah, no 100%. Um, Mark Adanasio we've seen it for years and years ever since he's owned the team. Mark Adanasio is a fan of this team. Whenever you get him talking Brewers like he talks about them the same way that any old fan would. And it, it's honestly one of I feel like his more endearing qualities that, you know, he doesn't just, you know, only talk business. He he genuinely genuinely seems to want this team to do well. And so when things aren't necessarily going their way, when, you know, there's a little bit of adversity and there's, you know, some strife amongst the Brewers fan faithful, um, he's probably feeling that himself. And so it doesn't surprise me that that was kind of his reaction. You could see it. You could 100% see it in that video that he was he was almost like forcing a smile that whole time um, and trying to be optimistic, but understanding that, you know, there are people who had concerns with what happened at the trade deadline. And, you know, he may have been one of them, but it's also his job, you know, to um, work with David Stearns and have a shared vision for the team. And if you're going to lean on a guy, then you have to trust that what he's doing is for the good of the team. And so, you know, he does end up having to kind of talk that way a little bit, in those public appearances, because that's, that's how he set it up. He set it up for David Stearns to drive the ship. Mark Adonazio is the money man. David Stearns is the decision maker. And so he's making the decisions and that's what Adonazio has to live by. But you could, you could tell it, it it seemed a little tough for him.
0: Yeah, it, it was definitely tough. And, you know, as you kind of go through his comments there, Um, it was definitely a, I had nothing to do with this Mm -hmm. kind of statement. You know, there, there were a lot of people, a lot of people blaming Atanasio directly for the trade saying that, oh, he, he couldn't handle, you know, the money that he was getting paid. He directed Stearns to, to trade him, Um, and, and Stearns just had to take, you know, whatever offer was there. Uh, but by the sounds of it, you know, it was, you know, David Stearns and Matt Arnold, Going to him and saying, hey, we have something we want to do with Josh, uh, that, that they kind of got the call. They, they were talking about the Padres. They got the deal worked out. And then they went up, went to Atanasio and they're like, OK, th- this is what's on the table. This is what we want to do and getting his approval from that. And you know, since David Stearns has been here, Nauseo hasn't vetoed anything he's wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been you know how much money do I have available like that that could be it, but there's no oh, don't trade this player, do trade for this player, you know, whatever, you know things like that. He hasn't been he hasn't really done that in the Stearns era. He's done that previously. Uh, and he also said that in his comments, he, he said, quote, "My first many years here." I was criticized that I stuck my nose in too much, and so now maybe I'm being criticized for not sticking my nose in enough. And, I mean, it's he's right. I mean, he did stick his nose in too much, you know, in his, in his earlier years. I believe Anasio was to blame for the Eric Gagne signing, which was Good. a disaster. Ooh. I believe he was also to blame for the Ken Maka hire, another disaster. Um, I'm not sure if he was to blame for Jeff supon He might have been, but... Still, you know, we don't want the owner to stick his nose in baseball ops too much. You know, if Mark tries to play GM or any other owner tries to play GM, it generally backfires. All you got to do is write the checks, man. That's, that's all it is. That's what all fans are looking for. You just write the checks that the baseball ops guys want you to write, and that's it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the Part two to me that was, I guess, the oddest is he sure did say a lot of, you'll have to ask David about that. And mm-hmm. there were a lot of fans who interpreted that as Mark throwing Stearns under the bus. Right under the bus. Yeah, right.
0: And, and then put it in reverse, back over, <laughs> and then drive back over him again.
1: Right, because he did say it like seven or eight times uh, in response to a number of different questions. Uh, But that's also the setup. Like David's the one making the decisions. I, I find it hard to believe that Adonazio couldn't at least speak on his behalf on some of those decisions because I'm sure they are both aware why they were made at this point. But some of it may have legitimately been you know, David Stearns is the one who would have the knowledge about that, so you would have to ask him. But he just said it so many times that it was hard not to interpret it at that. I'm sure if you asked David about it, he would say, oh, no, that's totally fine. That's just our relationship, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you could actually even get him to talk about it, let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, cause, I mean, Cause,
0: I don't know how much Anton really actually knew. I mean, he's really... I mean, you, you can look at, look at it as he's deflecting blame, he's throwing Stearns under the bus, or whatever, but you know, I really think, you know, based on his comments, you know, and based, based really just kind of on his um, nonverbal cues, just kind of how he was standing, his facial reactions, things like that. I think he was genuinely caught off guard by it a, a little bit um, and really only, you know, knew as much of, you know, hey, they, they came to me saying we have something we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just kind of explained it to me from there. I don't know, like, the whole picture. I don't know, like, everything, like. Their entire motivation behind it, or, or what they love with all these guys, I, I don't entirely know. But as Anazio stated, money was not an issue here. He did not mandate it because of money, because Haiti hey, was too expensive, uh, or things like that. Uh, it's like, you know, cost cutting had nothing to do with this. There were many that were accusing the Brewers of cost cutting, and you know, it it did kind of look like that uh, for sure. But out was like every player that was available, we had the resources to pick up, not only for the balance of this season, but but for the seasons of their contract. Dollars didn't come into the mix. Like we could have even gotten Juan Soto uh, with his contract. It was just the prospect price that uh, we weren't able to that we weren't able or, or willing to to pay, which I find super intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, considering they had to stretch the budget to get Andrew McCutcheon. Into of the fold for his eight and a half million dollar contract. Um, and if they have enough money available that, that they could have the remainder of Juan Soto's this, you know, salary for this year, probably his 20 plus million salary for next year, and maybe close to 30 million salary for the year after that. If you've got that much money available to pick him up, sign Corbin Burns. <laughs> now, yeah. Yeah. yesterday, sign Brandon Woodruff send these guys to the extensions. I mean, if you got that much money, spend it on Burns, man. Spend it on the Cy Young.
1: Yeah, it's you would think by now, and especially with Hater being gone, um, between that and we have plenty of money to work with that they could do those things. Though we know generally a lot of those big extensions Historically, with this team, don't get done until the off season. But still, I mean, if that has never been an issue, why wasn't it done last off season? Um, yeah, you and, signed uh, Ashby, it, right? But but that, I mean, that's a that's a peanuts contract compared to what uh, those two are going to make. Um, I guess when it comes to cost cutting, it's maybe it depends on how you define it. Because was it cost cutting in the way that like the Marlins or the Rays or the Tigers or teams like that do cost cutting where they like the A's. I don't know how the hell I (laughs) left the A's out of that. Um, But like where they shed basically the entire payroll um, so that they can, you like completely regroup. No, it wasn't that. But you didn't trade away Josh Hader with zero financial implications being taken into account. You know that, not only just when he, you know, reaches free agency and, you know, ends up with this gigantic contract that he's going to make money, uh, but his final arbitration year, he is going to get paid a whole ton as well. So like cost cutting, like costs had something to do with the decision to move Hater. It just is It did. And if you're saying otherwise, I'm sorry, we're just not buying it. Now, if you want to call it cost reallocation where you're trading away a hater so that you can use those that money for next year and future years for other things like an extension for those two guys like yes you know an offensive piece at center field or third or you know somewhere going into next year where you want to maybe improve the offense because you feel that the money that Hayter is worth next year could be best, better used or more valuable to the team somewhere else, sure, call it cost reallocation instead of cost cutting. But costs had something to do with that move. I'm sorry, it just did. It's the entire reason he's been rumored to be in trades every single year since he hit arbitration, is because everyone yeah. knew that the Brewers wouldn't be able to afford him at some point.
0: Yeah, and, and that's something that um, has really been, uh, you know, a big part of this for sure, as you mentioned, Matt. I mean, the, the, the escalating arbitration salary, Josh Hader was going to hit free agency after next season, and he wasn't coming back. He wasn't signing an extension. He wasn't signing back here long term. Atanasio knew it. Stearns knew it. Hader knew it. I knew it. Matt, you knew it. Most of the fans knew it's, uh, you know, some may not have wanted to admit it, but everyone really kind of knew there was no way he was signing a long-term contract to stay in Milwaukee because he's going to command about $20 million plus a season. And the Brewers just simply are not going to be able to pay that for a one inning closer. But also why is he a one inning closer? You know, previously he was a two inning guy and, you know, he, you know, he could handle multiple innings, could handle larger workloads. And there have been, you know, the reports that have come out that the Brewers were internally growing frustrated at his, you know, desire to only pitch one inning and, and lack of willingness to, to stretch it out, uh, maybe even for four-out saves if they ever wanted them or, or occasional two-inning saves uh, if they wanted to do that. And the reasoning behind that for Hayter all circles back to that first arbitration hearing. Mm-hmm. When, when the Brewers took him to arbitration— They they didn't settle. They took him to a hearing. They they, they took him to a trial. And Hayter was searching for the highest first-year arbitration salary of a reliever ever. And he lost that case because he did not have the saves numbers that the record holder, Jonathan Papelbon, had to that point in his career. Papelbon had way more saves. Hayter didn't have many. And that was mostly due to the Brewers using him as a multi-inning reliever, you know, 7th, 8th innings combined, he'd hold it down. He wouldn't get as many saves. He had to sit out a bit more often. But by being a strict one-inning closer, he could rest a lot more easily. He could be out there a lot more often and he could rack up the saves numbers to get himself paid. So ever since that arbitration hearing, if you've noticed, ever since then, he's been just a one-inning guy. That's all he's been. That's not because the Brewers had some sort of philosophical change with him. It's because he's like, "Look, this is all that I want to do now. If that's how I have to get paid, that's how I'm going to do it." And that's what he stuck to and and that's what the Brewers have rolled with since then. And you know, then they kind of grew frustrated by it. I mean, this was all because you wanted to win that arbitration hearing to save yourself what was it, a million dollars, 2 million dollars on his salary that year? All of that. It all circles back to that arbitration hearing. Everything changed when they went into that courtroom. They never should have taken him in there. They should have found a way to settle or or found a way to to just not end up making the argument that they did. Because by doing so, they completely ruined what they had. They, They completely changed what they had. And it forced this trade a few years later with a year and a half to go before free agency.
1: Yeah. Uh, you you always hear about, you know, when teams and players go to arbitration, w- when they actually go to hearings, you know, what's that going to do for the relationship between the player and the club? And, you know, sometimes it is a contentious uh, thing and it, it lasts a, a little bit into the season. Sometimes it's like Adrian Hauser and it's him just saying, Oh, it's just business, blah, blah, blah. You know, something uh, super quick you don't often hear about this type of ripple effect that comes from an arbitration hearing. It's interesting, like, I, I can't think of any time that I've really ever heard of this sort of um, consequence, I guess, coming from arbitration. So the Brewers now have a player in Devin Williams who is their closer who will be hitting his first arbitration year this offseason. And so, you hope that they maybe play things a little bit smarter with him, whether it's how they utilize him, whether it's that they just suck it up and actually offer him what he's worth um, as a contract and don't even have to worry about it. Um, we've got a player here who's already got a reliever of the year and now is an all-star. Don't cheap out on his arbitration. You're going to want to keep him around for a little bit. Um don't make the same mistake because yes, this absolutely started with that very first arbitration hearing. And there was a ripple effect that I'm sure they did not expect um, to be taking into account at this point.
0: Yeah. And and that's something that I'm not sure if uh, I'm a little worried about if They've learned their lesson with that, because if you remember prior to the season, Williams contract was renewed. You know, they, they didn't kind of come to terms. I mean, typically, you know, especially for, uh pre-arbitration guys it's i mean you have pretty much no leverage the team offers you a salary uh you can either accept it or you decline it and they just renew you at that price anyways but you feel you kind of make your stand um, that you know i i believe i'm worth more even though it doesn't actually do anything it, it's just essentially making an objection and, and noting it but they did that with Williams this year. He ended up, you know, just just having to take the renewal. And, you know, it shows that the Brewers, you know, still whatever formula or metric they use for their pre-arbitration salaries, um, it doesn't account for how elite of a reliever Williams has been. And if they're going to use that same thing in arbitration, because, you know, the first two years, first two and a half years, Devin Williams was not the closer. Right for this team. So he's not going to rack up the saves numbers. So are they get? Is he going to want to get paid like one of the best relievers in baseball? Yes. Is arbitration going to value him that way? Probably not. And the Brewers know that and they can use that to win the arbitration case. But at what cost? Yeah. You know, if it's going to damage your relationship with Williams that you just traded away Hader to make the closer, you know, to, to clear him to be the closer for. Then, I mean, you're setting yourself up to do the same thing in another two years when, you know, Williams doesn't want to stick around. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just it's a tough situation uh, for for them to be in. Um, You know, I I just really hope they're able to to learn from that mistake, as you said. Um, And perhaps, you know, dealing with the trading away of Hader this summer is what did that. Um, and perhaps they have, made, you know, realized uh, their missteps in handling him. Um, but you never know. You just, you just never know until it happens.
1: Yeah, and not that there haven't been, you know, times where the Brewers, quote unquote, treat it like a business, uh, because it is a business, and you have to treat it that way sometimes. But prior to this. Josh Hader trade. I I feel like we've all thought that the Brewers are an organization that usually does right by its uh, major league players. You know, we saw, excuse me, um, with the uh, Lorenzo Cain situation where they let him hit his ten years and then you know had open discussions with him about how to move forward, about you know being patient with Ryan Braun, you know, in his situation and you know not forcing him to make some sort of retirement decision or something like that like just you do your thing you know that's a player that's beloved to the fan base and they're not going to mess around with him it, I, generally we i feel like we've fought highly for the most part about how this how this organization values its players and now they did seem to maybe mess up a little bit or maybe they they under they underestimated the impact of what moving a player like Josh Hader would do, and maybe just weren't prepared for how to deal with the clubhouse in the aftermath. You can move a player like Josh Hader, business decisions like that do get made all the time, but then you have to figure out how to do the damage control after that. And the Brewers clearly did a very poor job of that from everything we're hearing um, when it comes to the players. So, don't create that situation again this offseason when it comes to De- uh, Devin Williams's arbitration situation or other players, to be honest. But we know in particular that he's going to be an interesting one because, yeah, like you said, their system doesn't value saves that much. But I think not just Brewers fans, a lot of people who pay attention to Major League Baseball are very aware that Devin Williams is one of the absolute most dangerous cl- uh, relief pitchers In the entire league, like he is worth going to be worth some money. And if the brewers use the same old, same old uh, strategy that they generally use for it, they're going to undershoot his value and it could get ugly again. So just be careful with this one, guys.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned with the clubhouse and and having to manage that, you know, really what would have helped with that clubhouse so much and with that trade away of Josh Hader is making another big splash to get someone else in into the organization, making a splash for a big time hitter uh, the, that they might have been after to to help out the offense, and making some more big moves uh, to really kind of make everyone believe, okay, we are going all in. But when you trade away a Hater and you know try to bring in three other guys to just replace him, you know it's hard for the clubhouse to believe. Hey, they're they're doing the best they can to make us better for this season. It's like th- this probably made us worse for this season. You know, no- nothing against Matt Bush or uh, Taylor Rogers or guys like that, but it's like you really kind of seem to to make things worse. You-, you take out a guy that we've known for five years, who's been a you know a glue guy almost in that clubhouse, mm-hmm. and trade him away to bring in two new guys to try to replace him. It's not going to go over well if you don't follow it up with another big splash, and you know that's something that you know Anunziano and Stearns also seem to you know mention in their comments. Really, this did not go as planned. They had a bunch of other trades that they were looking to do. Um, Anunziano knew there were a bunch of other trades that, that Stearns wanted to do that ended up not happening. Uh, the goal is still the World Series. I know a lot of people have been accusing him of not wanting to win the World Series, and you know he reiterates that. His goal has has been and has always remained that it is winning the World Series. Now you can take him at his word or not, but I, I always I still do believe that Mark wants to win. Um, you know, like deep down, because he, as, as you mentioned earlier, he is a fan of this team first almost. Um, so he wants to win just as much as as the rest of us do. So you know they had the other moves they just ended up not panning out and when that happens it it makes you kind of look like an idiot if you start the first part of the plan and we don't see what what part 2 was all you see is part 1 and it's like eh this doesn't make any sense
1: yeah you do wonder if when the hater trade started to materialize if Stearns thought you know what it's going to be fine because we still have plans to bring in a bat. Everything will balance out and everyone will be happy. And they never considered the what if of what if we don't end up with that bat? What's the clubhouse going to think? And they just were never prepared to have to deal with that.
0: Or they just thought the percentage of that happening was so small that it didn't matter. like, oh, I mean, we, because, I mean, we heard like afterwards, like they were super active on the phones. They were busy. They were talking to everyone. They had so much going on. And it's like, okay, we've got, you know, like five or six, you know, active, uh, you know, trade discussions that are fairly far along. Um, if the prices come down just a little bit more, we'll probably be able to, to get a deal across. And, you know, they got to the end of the deadline and none of those prices dropped to, to where they wanted them. And they just saw like we had all these, you know, things that were that we were about to get done and you know, just kind of nothing ever materialized as they got later and later and they just weren't able to to get it across and that that tiny chance of not getting anything done when they pulled the trigger on the hater trade all of a sudden grew a much, to a much larger chance as the prices didn't drop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it clearly it didn't go the way they expected things to go. This, the the final result of the trade deadline was not what Stearns had envisioned. Um, But you, you have to be prepared as an organization to deal with the aftermath, whatever it is like you have to have Mm -hmm. a, you know, scenario plan for what if everything goes wrong and everyone ends up being pissed? How are we going to deal with that? Like you have to, It's nothing that's ever going to go exactly how you expect it to go unless you're the Dodgers and could just pay for everything to go how you expect it to go. True. Um, Like something's going to go wrong and you have to be ready to respond to what happens if thing goes wrong. And and maybe maybe they were completely blind to the fact that there could be a negative clubhouse reaction to whatever moves they make. Maybe they were completely naive to that. I don't know. I would find it hard to believe, but maybe they were. And if that's the case, then that's even scarier that they never even considered that, you know, the players could be upset with whatever moves they ended up making. But whatever the case was, they weren't ready for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, historically, they do care about that clubhouse culture. And Craig Council has been fantastic at managing it. So I'm sure Craig Council is probably even like, dude, what the hell, man? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you just you just made everything so much more difficult on me. Um and yeah, I mean, it, it just you know some of their comments did help ease some of the concerns uh, I think that a lot had. I think that it still raised some questions uh, for many as well. But you know, I, I also did see a bunch of people saying, "Oh, the Brewers need like they need to get away from a microphone. They need to stop talking, and you know, they're just kind of making the problem worse." I completely disagree. I mean, yeah. I, I think having these guys out front answering these questions, um, answering to a lot of backlash, answering the fans, answering the media. You know, friend of the podcast Adam McAlvey was pretty much he was holding Onnazio's feet to the fire there with some of his questions. I mean, he was like, "Are you sure you guys are, are trying to win a world?" Series? I mean, he didn't phrase it like that, but it's like, "Are you trying to win a World Series? Do you actually care about that?" Like, like here are the fans' concerns. Here's how they're saying, like, what's your response to that? I think he did a phenomenal job. And I think the rest of the guys in that media group did a phenomenal job, you know, really asking the questions we wanted to know from Atanasio. Whether you liked his answers or not, whether you thought they were complete or not, that's a completely different thing. But he still stood up there and he faced the questions. A lot of other owners would not stand there and even face the questions, let alone give you let alone give you answers you may think were inadequate or raised further questions. The, the the fact that they were willing to answer those questions does say a lot. And I think it's great that they were able to be out in front there and take those questions.
1: Yeah, I mean, you saw, I think it was a Pittsburgh Pirates beat writer afterwards who said, you know, it must be nice to have an owner that will actually, you know, hold themselves accountable and answer to the decisions that the front office makes. Um, no. We also heard after Detroit Tigers GM Al Avila got uh, fired recently, their owner came out and basically, that, if, if you thought Adonazio sounded like he was throwing Stearns under the bus, um, Illich for the Tigers literally threw, almost literally threw Avila under a bus. I'm sure if there was an actual bus driving by, he would have been happy to throw him in front. Because everything he said was, like, all the decisions that happened over the last few years completely fall on the feet of this guy. Like, it was bad. I mean, so yeah. there can be, you know, nonverbal owners. There can be owners who just everything they say just makes everything worse. Adonazio gave honest quest- answers to the questions that were asked of him. And, yes, I, I, I'm glad to hear that because then at the very least it does, um, you know, it doesn't leave us uh, just grasping for straws during that situation. Yeah. I will say, too, you know what? with all this going on, it's very valuable for the Brewers to have a player, a veteran player like Andrew McCutcheon in the clubhouse right now. Because if anyone can kind of talk the troops through what's going on and show them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel— It's a guy like him who spent so many years in Pittsburgh and different types of years. (laughs) They had some successful seasons in Pittsburgh, maybe just a couple, but they did have a couple um, while he was there as well as some bad ones. And so, you know, he's kind of seen it all. And he is a really important voice, I think, currently in that clubhouse in terms of getting the ship turned around and getting everyone kind of getting everyone's minds uh, right again.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to, you know, like those veteran presences are, are super important to have in a clubhouse. I mean, McCutcheon, uh, Christian Yelich, you know, if Lorenzo Cain were still there, uh, Lorenzo Cain, uh, Brad Boxberger, he doesn't seem like the most vocal guy, but, you know, still, like they've got a lot of really good players, really good veteran players, great clubhouse guys in there, uh, really kind of help everyone through it. So that's really kind of important for them to have. And, you know, yeah, with ownership, it certainly could be worse. You look at Pittsburgh. Hell, look at Cincinnati. They traded away everyone mm-hmm. this spring, and their owner, all he did was come out and say, well, where uh, else are you going to go? Who yeah. else are you going to root for, huh? Yeah. It could have been worse. It, 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 you could have the Castellinis. You could be the Reds. Um, like, that was their explanation. At least Atanasio cared enough to be like, look, we're not cutting costs. Our goal is to win the World Series. You know, they, they came, they thought this was the best baseball trade. And, you know, as as a, as Stern said uh, in his statement, you know, it's about long-term viability uh, for winning a World Series. Um, and, you know, like you, like I get that. You know, I still would have liked to see that in the offseason rather than uh, doing it midseason while you're in first place. You know, just kind of, you know, optics. Um, but, I mean, I do... I do like the idea of, you know, get a long window. Like, don't go into rebuilds, uh, long rebuilds that you're not going to win a World Series in. If you're in the playoffs, you get a chance. That, that's their strategy, and that's what they fully believe. I mean, we saw that, with, you know, with Stearns' follow-up comments. They fully believe, like, to their core, that by just staying continuously competitive and getting in each year, you put yourself in the best position possible to win a world series. And, you know, as, as we, as we've talked about before, sometimes it's, it's literally just a matter of luck and, and just getting in there, being hot at the right time. And that certainly plays a part in it. Having the best team, you know, also plays a part in that. Um, But I mean, the Brewers still do have a good team, even without Josh Hader, they do still have a, a pretty good team. I'd like to be yeah. better, but, you know, it, it's still a good team.
1: <laughs> they do. Uh, and, you know, I, I pointed that out in an article recently about the reasons why they can still win the division. Um, they still have a top 10 offense, whether you want to believe it or not. They are in terms of runs per game. I don't believe you, Matt. The, you, do, you, you have to believe me because it's true. Top 10 offense. Is there math behind this?
0: I was told there would be no math.
1: They're just number is numbers. Math. I'm just going with numbers here. It's close enough. <laughs> okay. I suppose. Well, you're getting math anyway, because I'm settled in and I'm ready for it. Damn it. Tar oh, right. offense. They've got, they, they've got their three headed monster at starting pitching back with Freddie now back in the fold. And he's looked pretty decent and will continue to get stretched out. Woodruff's on a good run. Corbin Burns is cyan worthy. Once again, they, they, Still have one of the most dangerous relief pitchers in the league in Devin Williams. Matt Bush, man, I hope people got to see the inning that he threw in that last game because holy cow, did he look incredible! Like if he pitches like that the rest of the way, okay, I'm on board. Um, and then you know Taylor Rogers, that's a weird situation that I feel like we should maybe touch on a little bit. All of yeah. a sudden coming up that he's been dealing with a knee injury or knee. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah,
0: knee, yeah, knee injury or something that he's been keeping quiet all season. Apparently, didn't want to tell anyone out, about, didn't want to bother anyone with it, or didn't want to use it as an excuse for whatever struggles he may have had. And that that doesn't make much sense to me. It's like, dude, if you've got something bugging you, tell the training staff. Mm-hmm. Like you got to get that checked out and dealt with. Um, it, you know, especially then. You know, it makes me wonder if when they traded for him, if they knew. Right. If the Brewers knew or if the Padres knew that he was dealing with this knee issue all season or if this just, you know, he comes over and then all of a sudden his knee's bugging him. They're like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, yeah, this has been happening all season. What? Were the Brewers blindsided by this? I don't know. If, you know, if they didn't know, they probably should have gotten more uh, in the return package for Hayter. Uh, or if they did know, they should have gotten more. Uh, in the return for Hader, if they didn't know, I mean, that is very dangerous mm-hmm. with uh, Rogers not telling uh, anybody about his knee issue. I mean, I don't know if it's the Padres trying to hide it or if Rogers just tried to hide it on his own or whatever it was, uh, but that is bad. Like, a- as a professional, you cannot hide injuries, yeah, you know, especially at that level. You can't just be like, oh, no, it's it's fine. It's one thing to play through it when the team knows you're dealing with it. But if no one knows, that's that's dangerous for everybody.
1: Yeah, especially something like a knee injury, like knee injuries can go from bad to extremely worse in the blink of an eye. Um, but I suppose there's maybe some good news out of this. He did, uh, you know, like hater suffer a little bit of a mid-season swoon where his numbers kind of dip down. Um, if that was because of his knee injury, and they can get this right, either with, you know, just monitoring it the right way, He's getting a cortisone shot uh, right now, you know, maybe that ends up helping it. Maybe if they can end up kind of, quote-unquote, stabilizing that knee a little bit, he gets to return to his early-season form, and then he does end up becoming a really big weapon out of that bullpen because he's been kind of like up and down, I think since he came, uh, his appearances, since he came over, he had the bad one at first or no, I think his first one actually was scoreless. And then the second one, he gave one up. Um, I can't remember if he had a third one or not, but, um oh my God. Al- Nashville yeah, just gave up another lead in extra innings. So sorry, getting a little distracted because Alex Jackson can't catch a ball. Although it wasn't a great throw either. Anyways. Um, yeah, it, Hope I'm. That's my hope. That's my looking at this, you know, through a positive lens. Is that hopefully they get that knee issue less of a to be less of a bother for him, and he ends up kind of returning to his early season form because his early season form was really freaking good. Like it was Josh Hader good. It was to the point ah. where it, it there was a race between him, Hader, and Helsley from the Cardinals to see. Who is going to be the first reliever to give up a run this season? Mm. Uh, Rogers was very, very good. I'm not. Sa- I'm saying his performance was good. I'm not saying he is as talented as Hader. Yeah.
0: Me get, me I'm still. I'm still know. calling him not Josh Hader. You can. You know. Fine. He is. He is Taylor, not Josh Hader. Rogers. Yes, that's okay. In my mind. I mean, it's especially since he's the only big league piece. The Brewers got back because Denelson Nelson we couldn't find a spot for him on the roster. We got to uh, keep Jake McGee. And then three days later, hey, why don't we DFA Jake McGee? Hey, here's a better idea. Why don't you DFA Jake McGee initially and and keep Denelson Nelson on the roster and then just kind of go from there? But, no, we had to keep around Jake McGee in that bullpen because he was so valuable. And then when he finally has another outing where he gives up a couple of runs, all right, now we'll DFA him. Now we can clear room for Denelson Lamette. Oh, wait. He's already been claimed by the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. It is not often, Matt, that the Colorado Rockies look smarter than <laughs> the Brewers. Yeah. This is probably a... Once in a generation type moment where the Rockies look smarter than David Stearns, no matter really, no matter what the Nelson Lamette does, even if he stinks it up for them, which is possible because it is the Rockies and it is high altitude, but still like being able to claim him that that's a great, you know, get for Colorado and their horribly inept front office. It, it just proves that a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I, I, that Denelson lament thing is gonna, gonna haunt me for a while. Cause he, I was legitimately excited for him in, in the in the games that I had watched him pitch against us, where you know he did really well. And then now all of a sudden we've got him on our team. I was excited for the possibilities of him. And I, I, the Trez, Trevor Rosenthal thing, I think, still frustrates me more. But. The Jake McGee thing is going to be awfully darn close because, yes, absolutely, like, hey, Jake McGee, he had a couple good outings. Sure, I'll give him that. But, like, he hadn't shown so much that you needed to keep him over Lamette. But also, like, he's old. Like, go with the younger <laughs> guy. Keep Lamette. He's old. Like, look, I mean, like, that's just smart. More control. Like, it just... Yeah. That should have been their very first move, even if McGee had been average this whole time with us. Yeah. Younger guy with more control. Like, that's not rocket science here, people.
0: Yeah. No, we're we're not reinventing the wheel here. It's dump dump the reliever who's, you know, hasn't had a good year, hasn't been that great, and yeah, it's it, it still boggles the mind how they made those decisions how they let Lamet go, bringing in Rosenthal, that one will still irk me until the day that I die. Uh, that, that was just, that, that was bad. Um, and then, yeah, a few days later, getting rid of McGee, and it's like, you should have done this before. Uh, it, it made so much sense back then. It's just, uh, it, it was a very bad week for David Stearns uh, at the helm. I, I don't know how else to put it. It was just, he had a very off week, and it was a very bad time to have an off week. I mean, we've all had those weeks where it just you know it seems like whatever it is at work uh, or just in our lives, we just kind of can't seem to, to get it right. Everything just kind of goes one after another, and it's just, you know, bad news or mistake, you know, one mistake after another. Nothing seems to go right. We've all had that. We've all been there. And David Stern's just had that this past week, and it was just, you know, not a great week to, to have a – have a horrible week. You know, if he wants to have a horrible week this week when really mostly nothing is going on, fine. Great. You know what? It's a horrible week. It happens. Whatever. But to have it during deadline week and those those few days after the deadline, ooh, that is, that is not a good time.
1: Yeah. No, not ideal timing. Uh, did not end up uh, combining well with the poor performance of the team. For the week following that, Um, but we got a couple wins over Tampa afterwards, and so you know, wins at uh, three of the last four games now. Uh, Half game behind the Cardinals, yes, but um, just takes one win against them to flip the script on that. So just got to put it behind you. You know what? Things even David Stearns is not perfect. We've we've always said that he was very very good. We've, We've never pretended like he was perfect. Um, and he showed that he was not perfect this year. So um, we'll see and we'll kind of see what that possibly ends up meaning for his future in Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, it is um, it has been reported uh, fairly widely, I think at this point that David Stearns does have an out in his contract at the end of the season if the Brewers uh, it is believed if the Brewers make the World Series, Stearns can opt out of his deal. Um, and essentially become a GM free agent, in which case the Mets would uh, be immediately pursuing him. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there. John Heyman just put out an article uh, not too long ago uh, here talking about that whole situation and how Stearns really kind of didn't seem to help himself a- at all with this trade deadline. Uh, or, you know, it didn't help his ability to get out of that contract because he did not make this team a more likely World Series team. But, you know, Heyman also kind of goes into, you know, what the Brewers did at the trade deadline. You know, the you know it was a very unpopular deal, and, you know, they were looking at other hitters. Uh, many of those other options uh, were in the NL Central, such as Ian Happ on the Cubs, Wilson Contreras, who I really doubt the Brewers were ever actually in on. Uh, but Heyman did report that the Brewers were trying for Brandon Drury from the Reds, uh, but never really got much traction. Uh, they called on Josh Bell. Uh, they were they were talking about Jock Peterson as well. He was a target, uh, but the Giants ended up not moving him. Joey Gallo was discussed. Um, you know, the Brewers came close in a couple of different areas, but just weren't able to get anything across the finish line. And, you know, it just kind of makes... Uh, a difficult situation, even more difficult. Um, it, it's it, the only way this looks out, you know, positive for Stearns is if the Brewers win the world series. Cause I mean, otherwise everyone's going to circle back to the trade deadline as we talked about last week, if they fall short, either with the bullpen or the offense, everyone's going to look to Stearns in the trade deadline and how bad it was. Um, and then, you know, if they fall short, that means Stearns is on a contract for another year. Uh, and then, you know, is, is he going to just kind of let that contract expire? Is he, is he going to be looking for another extension? You know, I am I feel like Atanasio is definitely going to be willing to extend uh, David Stearns for, you know, another couple of years and keep him around. Does Stearns want to stick around? Does he want to stay with that? You know, what, what are they looking at? And, you know, I feel like he does. I feel like Stearns wants to win a World Series here. He wants to prove that it can be done um you know and then maybe move on to the next challenge but you know maybe he just he just simply doesn't want to leave quite yet
1: yeah it i mean we've kind of talked about it in the past so like if you're david Stearns, do you want to try and finish the job or do you want to go end up taking that job in new york where you grew up your hometown team etc 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 um yeah, I, I think, if, if anything, it's just that whole situation, that story is pointing out the fact that um, his moves at the deadline likely didn't get him any closer to his potential opt-out. Like, it, it's the likelihood of the Brewers moving past the first round of the playoffs, assuming they make it in in the first place, is probably, it's probably, if, if anything, the same uh at worst, a little bit lower after trading away Josh Hader and not acquiring a bat. Um, As for, you know, his wants and desires, I I guess he's only he's the one who's going to know that. If it's me, I'm wanting to finish the job. I'm wanting to get the, you know, team that I work for to that ultimate goal eventually, unless a massive teardown ends up happening in the middle of it. Which you're trying to avoid. Yeah, exactly. Which, which... And he spoke to that during this trade deadline. It's all—it's always been about extending that competitive window. They're only ever going to do that. And I know that frustrates some Brewers fans. They would rather see them go all in for, um, you know, to win that championship because yeah. we've never had one before. Get the World Series. Get your one. And then whatever happens after that happens. But what if you don't get that World Series and now you have to rebuild and you've got, like, half a decade of losing records that you have to deal with. We all went through the nineties. We don't want to do it again. And a lot of the two thousands, let's be honest, like, and pretty much
0: most of the Brewers franchises existence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically
0: there are a few Uh, good years in the eighties and then a few good years in the late two thousands, early tens. And then, and then we've got the David Stern's era. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's it. So personally, I prefer the extended competitive window. I prefer the sustained success, I, the multiple playoff appearances. I, I would rather roll with that. And so I appreciate him, you know, making moves, you know, kind of with that vision. Um,
0: yeah. what it that it makes purposes. sense as a strategy. I mean, it, it really does. Yeah. And, you know, they, they do believe it. And it is a little bit different than most other teams. I mean, the Padres are essentially going all in for like right now. Because, I mean, all their starting pitchers are free agents at the end of the year. Um, they've traded away their, all their prospects. So they've got nothing coming through the farm system. I mean, once these guys reach free agency, they got nothing coming up to, to backfill them. So it is World Series or Bust for the Padres. And, you know, last year when they made all these big moves to, to make it to the playoffs, they fell short. They fell apart. Uh, and it ended up not working out for them. So, I mean, the Padres and the Brewers are really two different, two polar opposite, almost, strategies uh, when it comes to how to build their team and build their roster. The Brewers have had four straight playoff appearances, looking for five. The Padres have had one playoff appearance. That was in 2020. Um, so, you know, where are they, you know, which strategy is best? You know, you can be... You can argue that all you want, but on paper, it looks like the Brewer's strategy has been has been a lot better. And, and Preller has been in charge in San Diego longer than Stearns has been in charge here. Yeah. And they both, you know, started off, you know, that they both saw rebuilds get started there. And, you know, coming back up, Stearns, his went a lot quicker than Preller's. And he's had a lot more success over the years than Preller. So we'll see what ends up happening. But, you know, as long as you make it in, you know, you, you have a chance and you just want to see it one of these years. And, and I think for a lot of fans, it's hard to see, you know, into the future as much, you know, especially when you have a competitive team. Now, when your team sucks, you know, it's it's like, OK, let's look into the future. We got these prospects coming up. It's going to be good. And a couple years from now, you know, things will be fine. But when you're winning now. It's hard to look at, you know. Hey, you know, we we could win it this year, but we could also win 2024 or 2025 or you know, whatever it is. Like, it's like no, we we are good now. I want to win now. You know, it's that's what we that's what we want as fans. Like, we're right here. I mean, we're we're almost prisoners of the moment, but it's like we're right here. You're in first place. Let's try to win now. Why can't it be us this year? Why why should I worry about the chances of winning a World Series in 2025? When we have a really good chance right here, why not just go, go all in for it and take your best shot at it? And that's, that's, I think where a lot of fans lie, but give credit to Stearns. He's sticking with, you know, the vision. It's like, you know, there's a lot more chances ahead. There's a chance every single year to have one. If we play this right, rather than pushing all of our chips in on one and possibly not winning. And then all of a sudden you have all these years where you, where you have no chance of winning. It's like keep the continual chances going and that that's how he's that's how he's got to keep it as the as the shepherd of this team as as a shepherd of the front office and baseball operations department.
1: Yeah. And you talked about, you know, business business sense and, you know, making good business decisions. Um am I going to go to uh, someone like me? Am I going to go to Brewers games regardless each year? Yeah, probably. Where are you going to go? Am I going to go to more, though, if when I show up, they have a, you know, better than 50% chance of winning versus losing? Probably. And I bet that's the case for a lot of other fans. That's why you see attendance rise when the team is better. And so it does make good business sense to keep your team competitive year after year after year because it means more people show up. It means you bring in more revenue. And that means you have more money to spend on the team. So it as frustrating as it can be to fans sometimes to operate that way, it is the smart decision as a ball club. And again, like I said, like I would personally prefer seeing winning teams. Like yep. I, yeah, I want to see a World Series, of course I do. But I also really like seeing winning teams every single year. Yeah, I, like, I, I I don't want to see
0: I don't want to see a Ramon Flores patrolling the outfield uh, in a Brewers uniform anymore. I just, I just don't want to see it. I've lived through that; it was a disaster, um, and I, I don't want to see it ever again. So, yeah, it it does make sense. You know, as much as I love, you know, looking at the at the prospects, what they got on the farm, um, you know, that's really going to be that's really going to be key here because the Brewers haven't developed much from their farm system at least in terms of hitters over the last several years i mean you look at this lineup you look at this roster who has come out of the farm system tyrone taylor that's it that's yeah. all that they've gotten uh from uh, from draft or from the farm all the way up through everyone else christian yelich originally miami willie damas originally signed by detroit roddy Telez, toronto mccutcheon pittsburgh Runfro Nerois, Padres, Wong, Saint Louis, Caratini, Atlanta, um, Brasso, Tampa Bay, Davis, uh, Toronto, and then you got on the bench Keston Hira, who has not you know followed through on his very high ceiling quite yet, and currently Mario Feliciano, Ooh. backup catcher extraordinaire, who somehow has not been able to make it into a game, that which would is help. ridiculous.
1: Not, not,
0: even on the the day game yesterday. Crazy. I know. I was I was fully expecting that, that should have been a Mario day. I don't I know thought what was. That gonna
1: was going to be the one. But, but
0: yeah. Oh well. But I mean, the the pitching staff. You got Burns. You got Woodruff. You got Ashby. All drafted and developed by the crew. Peralta wasn't drafted by the crew. wasn't initially signed by them. But most of the development was yeah. done by the Brewers. Uh, Williams drafted by the Brewers. Brent Suter drafted by the Brewers. Um, so you know, all these guys, you know, the, the pitching development has has certainly been there. Uh now you just kind of need the hitters to come through. And it seems like they're they're on the verge of it. Bryce Tarang, uh 2018 first rounder, Garrett Mitchell, 2020 first rounder, Sal Freelick, 2021 first rounder, all of them in triple A right now. You have uh Joey Weimer there as well, you have Asteri Ruiz, who you got in the hater trade in there. Uh so you got you got the prospects. They're right there, and they need this farm system to start producing and start producing those hitters if this contention window is going to be extended. So, I mean, you have the the pitchers right now. You have Burns. You have Woodruff. Uh, They're both going to be free agents after 2024. Uh, Lauer and Hauser are also going to be free agents after 2024. So you're going to need the the starting pitchers to backfill as those guys leave, Um, and you're going to need the hitters to start coming up uh, and producing. You're going to need someone to take over in center field long-term. You're going to need someone to take over in right field when Renfro leaves. You're going to need someone to take over at second base. You're going to need someone to take over at shortstop, someone uh, at third base. You're going to need a long-term catcher. Perhaps he's already on the roster, Mario Feliciano.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you do wonder if the Brewers and some of their draft strategy recently that they were hoping to draft guys that they didn't have to mess around with too much and, like, maybe didn't have to develop a lot. Like, Sal Freelich has really started to look like a just plain pure hitter. It doesn't seem like they have to make a lot of adjustments with him. They did have to a little bit with Weimer, um, but that seems to have worked out But he was a fourth-rounder.
0: Well. They, they knew that.
1: Right, exactly. We knew since the beginning he was going to be kind of a bit of a project, but Garrett Mitchell, I don't think they're really expecting to have to toy with a whole lot. He does have his strikeout issues, but I think they're uh, just looking at that as something you take with all his other strong tools. And he's
0: got to tap into that power a bit more, which he yeah. has been able to do lately.
1: Yes, um, even Eric Brown Jr. I know he's got the funky uh,
0: stance, you know, batting
1: stance, but he just manages to get on base no matter what. Like he's got he's got good zone recognition. He's got quick hands. He manages to get the bat on the ball, regardless of that. So I wonder if their view on him too is like, you know what? This is a guy who just gets on base. So we like him because, yeah. you know, he may even if we leave him with that funky batting stance, he might be able to get away. To figure I mean, it for out.
0: most of his career, Craig Council had his bat halfway up the staircase yeah. to heaven in yeah, his batting stance. Like you almost had to have a, a flashing light on that thing to warn a- passing airplanes. Right. Like that's how, that's how high his bat was. And he still was able to have a pretty good amount of success at the big league level as a hitter. I mean, he was no, you know, he wasn't a superstar shortstop or anything, but, uh, you know, he had enough success to to play in the league a very long time and have some very big moments. So it can happen. It, it can work having a weird batting stance. But yeah, they need that farm system to produce over the next coming years, and perhaps none bigger right now than Jackson Centurio and what he's been doing in uh, Carolina and now Appleton. Yeah, number two on, slide, on ba- oh yes, number two on Baseball America's most recent top 100 prospect update. He is the highest ranked Brewers prospect in Baseball America history. Yeah, like it is the Brewers have never had a prospect of this caliber. I mean, this is someone that they are going to be very excited to get. I think no matter who claims center field in the near future, whether it's Mitchell, whether it's Freelich long term, I think it may belong to Churio and you move one of those guys off to the side because what what he's been able to do uh, and show so far has been nothing short of fantastic. So if for this Currently, this competitive window, I see it ending in 2024. When all those guys, Burns, Peralta, I'm sorry, Burns, Woodruff, Hauser, Lauer, all reach free agency, Adamas reaches free agency. Currently, that's when I see it ending. If that's going to be extended, it's up to Bryce Terang and Garrett Mitchell and Sal Freelich and Asturio Ruiz and Joey Jackson Vito. Churio and Ethan <laughs> Small. And it's going to be up to all these guys. To extend that window, if they come up and do what they what they what their ceilings are, then this window can be extended for a long time, and that's that's what it comes down to.
1: This out I, we've talked about it so many times. This outfield depth is just getting absurd because now you even have a player like Jacevina, the new Jace. <laughs> By the New way, Jason base just yes. killing it at low A. The real
0: Jason base, in my opinion.
1: I, I, I he's, he's the Jace over the fence, he's, he's <laughs> crushing it. You don't need to get on base if you're just hitting it out of the park. Uh, but he killed it at the Arizona complex. He had two home runs in his low A debut, like it, and he's another outfielder, like the outfield depth is just ludicrous levels. Like, can one of these guys learn a corner infield spot just for shits? Like, just so we can maybe add to a little bit of depth down there. Like we, we don't have, we're not going to have room for everyone at the major league level. And and I know like some of those guys, you know, that that's actually a good problem to have because then, you know, you really do have some trade assets and potentially bringing in someone else, which is a lot of how the brewers have gone about manufacturing offense at the big league level. Um, but uh, it's it's getting to the point where you're starting to get attached to all these guys and you're not going to want to see any of them leave. But there's just there's no playing time for everyone once they're um, all major league ready. And maybe maybe some of them won't quite get there. Maybe, maybe a Jay Sabina, you know, maybe someone flames out at double A or maybe, you know, someone has a setback or gets injured or something. And, like, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for all of them necessarily. But good God, our outfield just just ridiculous organizational depth right
0: now yeah but not as much on the 40-man roster because jonathan davis is still there yes uh so we'll see but they will be ready soon hopefully before the end of the season we'll be able to see one of them but perhaps you know with what we saw against tampa bay and you know perhaps with you know what's transpiring down the farm perhaps their luck is turning and, and going a little bit better you know I think mine might be a little bit. I thought, you know, I was having a pretty, pretty bad week there with all the, uh, you know, trade deadline and how that all went down. But I went, to, you, Matt. You know how uh, Culver's has the uh, the pull tabs now? How where? Culver's.
1: No, I was not aware.
0: Yeah, <laughs> cu- cu- they have a uh, pull tab games now that they hand I, you, like if you buy a burger or whatever.
1: I did not know that. I won. Hey! I went,
0: I went to Culver's the other day, got dinner. And get, they gave me a pull-tab thing, and I got a dollar-off regular value basket. So, if that's not a positive sign, yeah. I don't know what is.
1: Dang right. It's so, a, yeah, the get to
0: Culver's, man. Order a burger, and you get a little little pull-tab thing, and you can get discounts. Well, dollar-off regular I value basket, free medium cheese curds,
1: oh, well, or
0: free single scoop of fresh frozen custard.
1: Yeah, see, except my... Uh, uh hot take is that the culver's cheese curds are just not very good i love wow. me some cheese curds but i cannot and i i will take all the hate and, and accept it but, but just not they're paying. free oh i would take them for free don't get me yes wrong. yeah you if they're free cheese
0: curds, curds free
1: cheese curds are your
0: favorite kind of cheese curds it's the same thing with beer your favorite beer is free beer your That's second right. favorite beer is cold beer
1: I, I, any beer, literally any beer.
0: Yeah.
1: Warm so, beer. I'm not gonna like it, but I'll just drink it.
0: Yeah. So dollar off, regular value basket or free scoop of custard. Had a also board. can't go wrong with either of those. Culver okay. should sponsor this podcast with all the yes. promotions for doing Please. here. But but uh, I wanted pull tabs for once. So I am excited.
1: Mr uh, Culver, I know you're an avid listener. Uh we will take that yes. sponsorship deal.
0: Absolutely. I will I'll take payment in the form of scoop of scoopy tokens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think that's a, I think it's a good spot to, to call it for this week. So thank you for listening to episode one Oh one here of the cold brew podcast, as we continue to make sense of the brewers, nonsensical trade deadline um, and, you know, get forward towards uh, the final stretch of the regular season and then into the postseason. hopefully, if they can make it there. We'll see. But uh, that'll do it for us this week. We'll see you again next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.